Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. It is my absolute privilege to be with y'all tonight here at Oxano. This has been a fun season for me these last few weeks, uh, starting back in December to be at Oxano a little bit more than I typically am, to get to know some of you, and then I, I get to learn your name, and then I see you on Wednesday night, or I see you on Sunday morning, and sometimes I actually remember your name. And if I don't, you're very gracious, and you remind me of your name, and you say hey to me when you see me, and I'm very grateful for that. But I am just excited to be with you tonight, just standing right back there behind where Austin's sitting. See, I didn't call Jake about tonight. I'm calling out Austin. Uh, back there behind where Austin is sitting, just standing there, being able to worship with you and to see you praise God together, to pray together, and now to open God's Word and for us to study His Word together. It really is just an absolute privilege for me to be here. I've been excited about this day and looking forward to it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start there. Uh, If you've got your uh, hard copy of God's Word with you, we're going to be moving around a good bit in it. So we're going to start there in Galatians 5, but we're going to flip around a little bit. So if you're using your phone, you're probably a lot better at it than I am to navigate that. Uh, So we'll, we'll be looking at, we'll stay mostly in the New Testament, but we will be moving around a good bit. Tonight, first thing I want to do is you probably see me a good bit on Sunday mornings and I see you on Sunday mornings and I may see you on Wednesday nights and I'll see you here at Oxano, but probably rarely do you see my family with me when you see me in those moments. So I want to introduce you to my family real quick. There's going to be a picture of them come up here. Uh, so my wife is Miley. She's over there on, the, on your far right. Uh, Miley and I met at Sanford. Um, I'm not, well, I guess I graduated in 2003. There you know how old I am. Some of y'all weren't even born yet. Uh, but we, we both graduated from Stanford. That's where we met. We just celebrated 18 years of marriage in January. And the redhead there on uh, the far left, that's uh, our daughter, Addison. She's 12. Addison is into, uh, she loves to read. She's big into Harry Potter, big into uh, Land of Stories, uh, big into, um, she's read the Chronicles of Narnia. She loved Percy Jackson. I don't know if y'all are familiar with these things, but these are what she loves. She's on the robotics team at Pazitz Middle School. Uh, so she gets none of that from me. Uh, but she, she is a smart one. She loves to sing. She does piano and voice. Uh, she's dabbled in sports a little bit. I'm going to be honest. That's not her thing. She's going uh, she's, she's gonna, she's gonna to uh, stick with the, uh, you know, the smart things, the reading and the robotics and stuff like that. Audrey in the blue sweater there, Audrey is 10. And uh, Audrey is, she loves to read also, but she is much more full of life than Addison. So Audrey is big into dance. She, uh, she does uh, jazz dance. She has done some ballet and stuff through the years. She likes to play basketball. Uh, she's played the last three years. She's uh, done some other sports, but she is very active. She is always moving. Um, but just two sweet girls. So I show you this picture so you can see my family and also so that you know that I am a blessed man, a blessed man indeed that God gave me those three women that I get to live with and do my best to steward those relationships well. So that's my family, a little bit about us. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter five. So Cole last week, uh, if you were here last week, Cole focused on love one another. So we're looking at these one another passages. We're going to pick that up tonight about what it means to be at peace with one another. 
And we're going to do that by starting with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And then we're going to look at some other New Testament passages where Jesus teaches about peace with one another and, or, and peace with God, where Paul teaches about peace with God and peace with one another. And so just to outline what we're going to do tonight, we're going to start with, the peace, with peace with God and how we have peace with God. We're going to go to the peace of God, and then we're going to talk about the peace that God calls us to give, and that's peace with one another. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So we're going to dial in on the third one there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And when you look at chapter, Galatians chapter 5 here, Paul is writing to these Christians in Galatia, and he's talking to them about the works of the flesh or the desires of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. And how the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are at battle, they're at war with one another. There's conflict between our desire to bear the fruit of the Spirit, but we still have the works of the flesh and the desires of the flesh tugging at us. And there's a war that's going on there. And what we know about conflict is that most often it takes conflict to solve, to get peace. That there, there's war that leads to peace. There's difficult conversations that have to happen that lead to peace in relationships. So often it takes a conflict for there to be peace. And I, when you think of the word peace, I don't know what, what images come to your mind or what stories you think about. But for me, I, I go to moments in my life where there was everything but peace and all I wanted there to be was peace. And so one example of this uh, in my time at Samford, I started out as a business uh, management major. And then uh, my sophomore year of college, as I felt God calling me to ministry and sensing that call, I had this question, what can I change my major to and not have to take any more accounting? And so that was the major I chose was public administration. So public administration is a mix of business and political science. I could graduate in four years and not have to take any more accounting. So I pursued public administration. How much do I use public administration today? Maybe a little bit. But got the degree, got out of Sanford. So while I, part of my degree was I had to do, uh, part of my program is I had to do internships. Public administration deals with like local government, small government, even up to the national government level. So I did some internships with local government organizations. One of those was a local school system. So I interned at a, it's not even there anymore, it's a Birmingham City School out towards Irondale, an elementary school. And I interned with the principal there. And I would go a couple days a week. I would sit in meetings with her. I was trying to get a feel for how does a local school system operate under the, the umbrella of the superintendent and the state government? How does all that tie together? So I was trying to learn those things. But there were some days where they would just need to substitute teachers and she would put me in a classroom. And so there was one such occasion that it was a, the second time she put me in a classroom. The first time it was like, hey, this teacher's got to leave at one o'clock. So I just need you to finish the day in a classroom. But the second time she put me in a kindergarten classroom <laughs> at about uh, 10, 1030 in the morning, the teacher needed to leave. And she goes, hey, I just need you to take care of this class the rest of the day. And I'm like, OK, I can handle this. They're kindergartners, right? We got nap time in the afternoon. We're going to we're going to lay down on our nap mats and take a nap. So I go I go in there first. First little while is OK. They got some little activities that they're working on. And so things are going well. And then lunchtime rolled around. So we go to the cafeteria together and there's other teachers in there. So they're on their best behavior. And then we come back to the classroom after lunchtime, had another little activity to work on. And then it came time for nap time. 
I thought this is, this is going to be great. Where they're all going to lay down on their little nap mats. It's going to be 45 minutes. We're going to turn the lights out. It's going to be peace and quiet. I'll sit at the teacher's desk. Then we just have one more, one or two more sessions after that, and we're leaving for the day. This is going to be easy. Well, it was as if when we're walking back from lunch, they, they began to smell, this guy has no idea what he's doing. We, we, can, we can start a rebellion, and this guy will never know what hit him. He doesn't have a clue. And so that's exactly what happened. They were pretty good in the little, little afternoon session right after lunch. And then we get to nap time, and I'm like, okay, let's get out our nap mats. And they do. They get out our nap mats. They spread them out on the floor. And they all kind of act like they're going to lay down, and then chaos ensued. <laughs> and it, it, they were doing everything except what I was asking them to do. All I, all I needed to do was lay down on their nap mat. But they are doing everything but that. They're, they're in the hallway. They're not asking me if they can leave the classroom, but they're going in the hallway. They're moving around the classroom. I mean, the lights are out. I'm trying to get peace and quiet here. I finally, I go next door. I grab one teacher, say, I'm going to need your help in here. She comes in. She gets them calmed down for a few minutes. Chaos ensues again. They're everywhere. I have no control. I'm trying everything. I know I'm trying not to lose my temper. I mean, I'm trying to be the nice sub. So I, they, there's people leaving the classroom. I leave again. I'm like, I can't go back to the same teacher. That doesn't look good. So I go to another teacher. I'm like, hey, I'm going to need you to come in here and help. She came in, calmed it down a little bit. Finally, nap time's over. I, I, I thought for sure that that was just going to be a peaceful time. And all I wanted was for them to just lay down on their nap mat, take a little nap, we'll wake up, and we'll finish the day. All I wanted was some peace and quiet for them to just rest in that time. And it was anything but peace and rest. And so for you, it might not be a, a storm of kindergartners that you're facing. It might not be a swarm of little gremlins that you think should be laying down, doing what they're supposed to do. That might not be what you're facing, but maybe, maybe it is the demanding stress of, of school that you're facing. Or, or maybe it's, a, it's a, the pressure to succeed. You're in this phase of life as college students and young adults, and you feel this pressure to succeed. And what's my career going to be? Maybe it's a strained relationship. Or maybe there's anxieties in your life that you're thinking about short-term plans and long-term plans, and these anxieties begin to creep in. And what happens with us when we have those moments in our life where we long for peace and we lack the peace that we long for is that's when we're trying to be in control. Instead of saying that to the sovereign God of the universe and allow him to be in control. But when we seek to be in control or we try to produce this outward, outward change or this system of self-improvement by reading some self-improvement books to bring more peace and less anxiety in our life, that, that's not how peace from, through the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated. But it's cultivated when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and we abide deeply in the Prince of Peace Jesus Christ. So what, what does this look like? What does peace look like in the everyday life of a believer? So we've looked at Galatians chapter five and the, the, the fruits of the spirit and the, the war between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And if we look at the word peace in the New Testament, that word peace is used about 420 times, not just in the New Testament, but throughout the Bible. And it's used in, in different ways, five different ways it's used in the New Testament. One way is peace as the absence of war or chaos. Another way it's used is peace as a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the peace we have with God that we'll look at in just a second. It's peace as a good relationship with other people, that we're at peace with one another. It's peace as an individual virtue. It's peace as a word of Christian greeting. So Paul in his letters would often write, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
often uh, Jews and early Christians, they would greet each other with a greeting of grace and peace, or sometimes just peace. In the Old Testament, it's the word shalom. Y'all probably heard this Hebrew word shalom. It's a word that's I mean, it's loaded with meaning in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew language, this was the word that, that describes all around well-being, a freedom from fear and want and contentment in relationships with one another, with creation and with our creator. So it's this word that's just loaded with, with peace and right relationships and that everything is right with the world. And that's because that's the way God created it in the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, everything was in shalom. Adam and Eve were at peace with God. They, had, they were in the presence of God. Everything was right with the world the way God created it to be until what? Sin entered the world and fractured that shalom. And so now we don't know that shalom on this side of heaven. We don't know what, they, what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden because of sin. But what is, this, what is this peace that the Apostle Paul has in mind here in the fruit of the Spirit? So we're going to start by looking at that with the peace, with our peace with God. This is where it all begins. If we're going to have peace with one another, and if we're going to experience the peace of God, the first thing we have to know is peace with God. This peace with God, this is the result of the work of redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross in shedding his blood for our sins. That while we were separated from God, Jesus came, he died on the cross, shed his blood so that we can be made right with God, so that we can experience peace with God. And one of the clearest examples that we see of this and explanations of this is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. So if you want to flip there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 18, we're going to look at. I'm going to stop a couple places along the way. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Listen to these next few phrases. Remember that you were separated from Christ. So Paul is reminding the Gentiles of who they were before Christ, before they encountered the saving work of Christ. Before they encountered his death and burial and resurrection, he's reminding them of who they were in the same way he reminds us of who we were before we encountered Christ. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So there's one word, separated, alienated. Strangers to the covenant, separated, alienated, strangers. Covenants, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus Christ gives us peace with God. Just like these Gentiles who Paul, Paul is writing to, we were once alienated, separated. We were strangers to God. Paul also writes in other places that we're hostile to God. We're dead in our sins and transgressions and can only be made alive to God in and through Jesus Christ and his saving work on the cross. 
We are reconciled to God through Jesus and his atoning work on the cross. That's how we have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we've been made right, justified is to be made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we were once strangers, alienated, separated from God, but in Christ Jesus, we are at peace with God. We experience peace with God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, a familiar passage. Jesus says, come to me. Do you hear that invitation? Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So just like in that kindergarten class, when they're supposed to be resting and there's no peace, there's chaos, that's what our life is like apart from peace with God. It's chaos. We're separated from God because of our sin. But in Christ Jesus, we have peace with God. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor. What's this labor that he's talking about? He's, not, he's using a farming illustration, but he's talking about those who labor and are trying to earn their salvation. Those who are trying to say, hey, God, look at me. Look at all these good things that I'm doing. Trying to earn their survival. She says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This peace with God that we have gives us rest from seeking to earn our salvation and trying to prove to God that we are worthy of his grace. We, we can't be worthy of his grace. Jesus simply says, come to me. I, I get this picture when I think of peace and I think of rest. One of the most peaceful scenes that I've had in my life is when my girls were younger. And even to this day at 10 and 12, when I would go in when they were babies and I would sometimes just watch them sleep because they were at peace. They were peaceful until they woke up a couple hours later screaming because they were hungry. But for those few moments, I would watch them sleep just to say, everything is right. They're, they're at peace. They're resting. It's a peaceful scene to watch them sleep as little girls. And even recently, our, our youngest, she still believes in the tooth fairy. She's 10. I don't know what age you stopped believing in the tooth fairy, so don't spoil it for her. But a couple, a couple weeks ago, she lost a tooth, and so I needed to go in, and I tried to sneak in, and she actually busted me, getting to put the dollar in there. Thankfully, she didn't see the dollar, so she didn't know why I was coming in there. I said, hey, I was just coming to kiss you goodnight. No big deal. Go back to sleep. But even today, when I go in there, and they're still asleep, I, I, I love just watching how peaceful it is. And that's the image that we have here. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in a room this size with this many people in here, there are no doubt people in here who are carrying burdens. You're carrying heavy loads, and it might be a heavy load of anxiety, might be a burden of, of stress, or you might fall in this category who Jesus is talking to that you, you're trying to prove yourself to God. And Jesus simply says, come to me. He doesn't say, come to me and do this. He says, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light.
This is the peace that we have with God. Jesus says, come to me. But we also, as when we have peace with God, we know the peace of God. So when we, when we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, we know the peace of God that is with us, that God graciously gives to us. This is peace of mind. It's freedom from anxiety. It's freedom from panic. I love this word, word tranquility. It's tranquility of the soul. This is peace that is unrelated to our circumstances. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. This, the peace of God is unrelated to our circumstances. And Jesus teaches us not to worry, but to trust our Heavenly Father. I don't have to tell you, you students and young adults, this, that today anxiety is at an all-time high for many people. These last two, three, four years, uh, the rise of social media, the pandemic, all of these things have just taken anxiety to a whole other level for people. And we, we can look on, on social media and you have these pressures that are thrown at you. You see this, what does a perfect life look like? I'm putting perfect in quotations. That there's relationships that cause you anxiety. It might be fa family relationships or friendships that cause you anxiety. There's worry about what you're going to do next, what you're, what you're going to do for a career or for grad school or what, what is your calling. And there's all these things that pile up in your life that cause anxiety. And that's not just for, for your age group. That's for middle schoolers and high schoolers. We've dealt with it with our daughters. They have these pressures that are on them with relationships and things that they see on with their friend and what their friends talk about. And you have it with social media and everything else that's thrown at you in these years that you're in. And the anxiety is at an all-time high, but Jesus tells us this. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 through 34. It says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Verse 33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious enough for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. But he reminds us of his loving care for us. But if God so closed, to, so closed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious. We have a heavenly father who gives us peace with him through Jesus Christ and who gives us his peace, that he cares for us. And the apostle Paul echoes this teaching in Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in everything, with thanksgiving, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, some, many of y'all have heard of him. He was an 18th century pastor in London, pre, great preacher, great pastor, Metropolitan Tabernacle Church. He often told a story to his congregation about a, a woman who was on board a ship with her husband, who was the captain of the ship. And in the midst of storms, this, this captain's wife would often be just stressed and disturbed and she couldn't calm down and relax in the midst of storms when they were out on the sea. But her husband, who was the captain, he would just remain calm and peaceful and restful. And one day she said to him, to him, how is it that you remain so at peace and so calm during storms when I'm over here so distressed and so worried? And he didn't answer her with words, but he took out his sword and he walked over next to his wife and he put his arm around her and he held the sword close to her. And she smiled at him. And he said, why do you smile when I hold this sharp sword next to you with which I could kill you in a minute? And she said, I, I don't fear this sword when it's my husband who wields it. And the captain of the ship said, well, neither do I fear the storm when it's my father who sends it and who manages it. And then Spurgeon goes on to say, now, since all the trials and troubles of this mortal life are as much in the hands of the great God as that sword was in the hand of the good woman's husband, we need not be afraid of them for they are all in his power. When he rides aloft in his chariot and the skies tremble at the sound, why should you tremble, even you timid ones? That is the peace of God that is a settled trust in God's fatherly care. And it's a steady refusal to give in to anxiety. It's a choice not to worry, but to pray and to trust God. And this kind of life that demonstrates, that demonstrates, demonstrates, that demonstrates this peace of God is a powerful witness to the gospel because it shows that we trust our heavenly father. We trust the peace that we have in him. This, this captain of the ship, he knew that Jesus slept in the stern of a boat during a fierce storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he knew that he could trust God and rest with tranquility of soul, even in the midst of the storms of life. And we, each one of us, have this same peace of God with us every moment of every day. So when anxiety creeps in and when worry comes in your life and tries to get a foothold, be reminded that you have a God who is a God of peace and he gives you his peace to sustain you. So we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross that gives us the peace of God, a settled trust in God's fatherly care. And because we have peace with God and we have the peace of God, then we can live at peace with one another. This is the peace that God calls us to give. This is the peace God calls us to give, is to live at peace with one another, to work for peace among Christians and among all people. This is how the fruit of the spirit of peace is reflected in our lives. It's how we practically live out the peace of God that is at work within us. And we cultivate this peace of God within us, like the fruit of a tree or a vine, we abide deeply in Christ and we cultivate this fruit of the spirit, peace. One of the best places for us to reflect on what it looks like to be at peace with one another, especially as followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church, is in Romans chapter 14 and 15. So if you wanna flip there, Romans chapter 14 and 15, 
I'll set up what's going on. This is what Kaylee read so well for us a few minutes ago. Uh, I'll, I'll set up what's going on, and then we'll look at this passage. So it, Paul's writing to the church in Rome where there are Christians from Jewish background, and there's Christians from a Gentile background. And they have different things, different feasts that they celebrate, different holy days that they celebrate, different foods that they deem are clean and are unclean. And these differences are causing disputes and divisions in the church in Rome. And so Paul is writing to them to, to hey, on these, on these disputable matters, you can agree with one another in brotherly love. Now, there's indisputable matters in the church as well, and Paul addresses those. There's indisputable matters, things that we cannot dispute, but there's disputable matters that we can disagree on, and we can, we're still within gospel Christianity, evangelical Christianity, and we can disagree on those and be at peace with one another. Let's look at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Paul says, as, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, Think about how simple of a statement that is. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. But not so you can wrestle with him over opinions. We're not talking about truth here. Paul's talking about opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. This is those different holy days and festivals and feasts that they would celebrate on certain days. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul's bottom line instructions here in these first 12 verses is summarized in verse 19. If you look down just a little bit there at Romans chapter 14, verse 19, he says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You hear that? Real simple. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And he reinforces this bottom line instruction with several points throughout chapters 14 and 15. I'm gonna outline them real briefly here. As Christians, we are accepted by the same Lord. We share the same Lord and are united in his name and the truth of his gospel. We are all servants of the same master. Only God has the right to judge. This doesn't mean that we don't need to contend for truth and for sound doctrine. So I wanna be real clear here. This is where we get into what are indisputable matters, and what are disputable matters. We need, to be, we need to contend for the truth of God's word. As Bible-believing Christians here at Dawson and in, in the body of Christ, we need to contend for what God's word says. But we can contend for the truth in a loving and peaceful way. 
We can do it in a lot. People are going to disagree with, with the, tenet, the core tenets of Christianity, but we can disagree in a peaceful and loving way. So some examples of some indisputable matters is we can't deny the authority of Scripture. We can't deny the authority of Scripture. We can't deny the deity of Christ. These are indisputable matters. Jesus was fully God, and he's fully man. He was God in the flesh. We, can't, we, can't, we have to stand firm on that. The truth of the resurrection of Jesus, that's not up for debate. That comes down to the authority of Scripture because the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. So we can't disagree on that. One way to salvation, we can't disagree on that. Whether, we're hu- whether our, our human depravity, that we are totally sinful, we're without, without hope apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, all of those are things that we cannot disagree on. We can't disagree on those things and be within Christianity. Those are indisputable matters. Now, there are people that disagree with those. And we can disagree with them lovingly, but we, we need to disagree. Because those are outside of Christianity. Those are outside of biblical, evangelical Christianity. But in the indisputable matters, we need to make every effort to pursue peace. So let me give you some examples of these. These are things we can disagree on, and we can still be within evangelical, biblical Christianity. An example of this is baptism. Now, I am Baptist. And I will tell you that I think that baptism by immersion after becoming a believer is the way baptism should be done. And I could defend that from Scripture. But I have some Presbyterian brothers and sisters who baptize infants, and they can make a really good case from Scripture for infant baptism. So they're not outside of evangelical Christianity because we disagree over baptism. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. We can disagree on that. Worship style. Whether we open up a hymnal and sing hymns with no, uh, no music, no musical instruments, or whether we have guitars and lasers and smoke and lights, we can disagree on that. We, we can disagree on that, and we can go to the same church in the same body of Christ. We can disagree on that, and we can, we can even go this far. We can learn to sing each other's songs, and we can worship together with each other's music and learn to love and to appreciate other styles. Sunday dress, what you wear on a Sunday morning, we can disagree on that. The church I grew up in, in Pensacola, Florida, which is a town that's on the city that's on the beach, people would come in flip-flops and shorts. My parents never let me wear that. <laughs> but we still went to the same church with those people. You don't see a lot of people here at Dawson in, in shorts and flip-flops. But you see different kinds of dress, and we still go to church together. That's something we can disagree on. The Lord's Supper. So our two main ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we can disagree on the way it's served. Here at Dawson, we say it's an open table, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, you can partake of the, of the Lord's table here at Dawson. But there are some churches, some Baptist churches, who would say if you have not been baptized as a believer by immersion, you cannot take of the Lord's Supper at their church. But we can disagree on that. We can disagree on the, do you dip the bread in the juice or do you eat the bread first and then drink the juice? We can disagree on those things and still be within Orthodox Christianity. So we can disagree on those things and we can do it peacefully. And I know, I remember in my time in college, I got in some heated debates over, ind- over disputable matters with people. I mean, good friends of ours, we would wrestle over theological issues and they were, they were disputable matters that we could just agree to disagree on and hug one another and move on. But man, we get after each other. And we don't have to do that. We can disagree peacefully on these things and be brothers and sisters in Christ and even go to the same church on many of these issues. 
Baptism aside, we may need to draw a line there if you're going to baptize infants. Most Baptist churches do not do that. But other, other, other of these things, we can disagree on those and go to the same church. So there are disputable matters that we need to disagree peacefully on. We all live to please the Lord and to do whatever we do is done in his presence. We're all accountable to God alone is judge. We are not the judge. And we are compelled by love for God and love for one another. In Romans chapter 15, Paul points us to the example of Christ that, that to be shaped by him for us to follow his example. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. There's that word again, mutual upbuilding, to build him up. Verse seven in Romans chapter 15, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is what it means for us to walk in the fruit of the spirit and to follow Jesus as our example, to be at peace with one another. Paul shows us what that means is to accept one another, to work hard to live at peace with others. Even when we disagree on indisputable and disputable matters. Again, we can, we can disagree on both of those things lovingly. And we can sing together and worship and bring glory to our God together. This is the, the source of this peace that we have is the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and we wage war against the works of the flesh and we cultivate the fruit of the spirit of peace in our lives, we can live peacefully with all. The Apostle Paul also says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, as we close, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is the peace God calls us to give. And cultivating the fruit of peace in our life demands not that we try harder. It doesn't demand that we try harder, but that we abide deeply in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, so if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let's pray. God, we give you praise tonight that through the blood of your son, Jesus, we can be at peace with you. And because of the peace that we have with you, we have your peace with us. That we experience your peace in our daily lives and we can have this settled trust in your fatherly care. And God, you call us to live peaceably with all to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to be, be peaceable among those disputable matters and God over those indisputable matters. We pray for those who disagree with us, that they would see the truth of your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth so that they can experience peace with God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. God, each one of us in this room has moments in our life, and maybe for some of us, it's many moments in our lives where we are anxious. God, we ask that in those moments, you give us your peace, that you remind us of your peace that is with us and your peace that sustains us. In these next few moments, as we reflect and we spend time thinking about God's word and what he's speaking to us, God, we pray that you would Reveal to us areas of our lives, maybe where we worry, maybe where we're anxious. Maybe a relationship that we have with a brother or sister in Christ that we need to repair, that we need to reconcile. So God, we ask that you would reveal those things to us and give us the grace, give us the strength to turn to you, 
to be reminded of your peace and to live peaceably with all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following Him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.